Hello and thank you for listening to episode 20 of 60 Minutes with. I'm Dave and I'm joined by somebody who's, who's well, you've joined me on an interview show before, haven't you, mate, as well as the the uh, entertainment shows. It's Chris. I certainly have. I, I seem to be the resident video game person, I guess. You're the, the go-to guy, aren't you, for any video game guests? I am. You couldn't get anybody, well, better, could you really? You asked to half a dozen people and here I am. So. <laughs> you were always top of the list, man. Well, we have. We just finished talking to uh, the people that you're going to listen to in just a few minutes. Um, and, wow, I mean, we were excited, weren't we, before this episode, because people are going to listen to, uh, and I don't use this term lightly, video game legends, mate. Oh, totally. No, I was, I, if you didn't say it, well, I'd have slapped you. But, I mean, they, they totally are legends in the video game industry. You know, you've only got to mention, well, one character, Dizzy, and you instantly think of the Oliver Twins. You know, they're just, well, you know. And you think of, the, you know, the, the rich history that's gone on for, like, so many years and continues to go on. You know, when we, we do, we spend about 40, 45 minutes talking about, you know, the history. And then we spend the end part talking about the new project that they've got, Sky Saga, which just sounds amazing. And, I'm, oh, yeah. you know, I've been lucky enough to, to have a look at it when I went to play Blackpool the other week. And as I mentioned to the Oliver Twins, my son has been an alpha tester on it for a while. Uh, and the only thing that's stopping me jumping onto the alpha test is uh, I'm on a Mac. <laughs> so I've got to wait for it to be Mac compatible. But yeah, if I'd got a PC, mate, I'd be on it straight away right now. Well, I'm going to sign up to it because it sounds incredible, you know. And just to think that it's such an early stage already, you know, and, and the plans and everything else—it's so exciting. It really is. So um, yeah, it was great. It's brilliant, you know. And I think as you found, mate. I mean, I had an idea from watching the two-hour talks again at Play Blackpool. These guys are like so entertaining. They bounce off each other so well, um, and they can talk. And they're just like every, everything's like just so interesting and entertaining, isn't it? I know. I, I struggle to get a word in, but you know that you don't want to stop them from chatting away and talking because, like you said, over thirty years in the industry, so many stories and so many different interesting things to talk about, and uh, they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, perfect podcast guest, isn't it? When people talk and we don't have to say too much. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Right, so enough of us, because people are saying, shut up, we want to listen to them. <laughs> so, so please, sit back, relax, get comfortable, and get ready to spend 60 minutes with me, Chris, and the Oliver Twins. Right, Philip, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. I know me and Chris have been looking forward to this one um, since I announced it online, so thank you very much for spending an hour with us. That's okay, Dave and Chris. Uh, we're very, very happy to be here. Yeah, Hello. I think what we should do to start, for anybody that's listening to this that is not too au fait with your history, as big as it is in the gaming history, can you give sort of a brief synopsis how you started? Because I know you started at a very early age when you started putting games together, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. So um, I'll I'll start off. It's Philip here. Not that you're going to be able to sort of relate the voices. <laughs> but when Andrew takes over, you, you get a bit of a gist. So, so um, I guess uh, we are twins, um, the Oliver twins, as you well know. Um, and I guess when we were about eleven or twelve, um, we it must have been about eighty-one-ish, I guess, and we'd. Um, seen things like Space Invaders in a local arcade, um, in fact, a local quick, uh, supermarket, actually, Quicksave, 
Um, and things like Pac-Man were just coming out. And a friend had an Apple II with a couple of kind of games on a green screen. And that was our first experience of sort of seeing games. And we, we found them absolutely fascinating. The, the, the fact that you could actually control the signals on the screen um, and even though the graphics were kind of crude, they were really good fun and, and quite inspirational. Like, it, it, it seems crazy to say this now because everyone just takes it for granted that computer games have always existed. It's like phones, it's like they were tethered and now they're not. It's like, <laughs> but the idea that you could control something on a TV screen was just some sort of magic that, um, but then obviously it's actually a game and actually it's good fun. <laughs> it was really good fun to play and we're very competitive and so we we instantly were trying to beat each other on these um, these these games. I was going to say simple games, but actually they're classic games. Let's face it. Um, but we were fascinated and very quickly um, people like Sir Clive Sinclair sort of jumped on it and said, "Hey, this is what all the kids want to play." Um, let's sell them cheap computers into the home. Um, and so we got one. Yeah, so yeah, our, our brother started by getting a ZX81, and sort of our old brother, and putting it under the family TV. And that's kind of what we started sort of playing with at first. But ZX81, I mean, really very, very crude, um, very difficult to use, sort of this keyboard, there's no memory. It's just kind of control a bunch of characters on the, a very low res screen. Couldn't really do much at all, but it was still kind of magic that you were able to do something. But you very, very quickly learned that, right, I know what memory is and I know I need more of it. I know what processing speed is, I know I need more. And then uh, I know what color is and I definitely want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then a, a friend's dad um, got an Apple IIe, which was actually a pretty powerful computer, but that would have been hundreds of pounds, I guess. But um, his dad very quickly um, ended up buying lots of games, um, pretty decent pretty decent arcade type games um so we just used to be around his house playing pac-man and things i think it's called tax man actually but um <laughs> we all know what it was but, but, we, <laughs> but we spent evenings um playing a catalogue of games completely addicted and saying like this is what we want to do zork night mission tax man um, yeah anyway um, so we uh, desperately wanted a decent computer for our own um my mum and dad said well these things are hundreds of pounds which was a lot more money then um, and so we just uh, did a newspaper round to uh, like save up the money to uh, see if we could buy a computer because we had no other way. Our, our pocket money was going to take like over a year to get there. So we're trying to work out ways of getting money so we could buy one of these computers. Um, and in fact, the computer that we sort of chose and that seemed really good at the time, it was September 82. Um, and Dragon, um, if you remember the Dragon 32 came out. Um, at about the same point that our, our money was getting close to sort of being able to purchase it, it had a decent keyboard. It had 32k of memory. I mean, it was it was color. It was color. And it had color. Um, so that's that was a computer of choice. Um, so we bought that, very very prized, and that's the kind of main computer we sort of started to learn basic on and start writing games. Um, it's a little bit of an obscure computer, but I think that actually did us a favour because everyone else around us going, what we got Dragon for? we got a Spectrum. Um, and on a Spectrum... Or a VIC-20. Or, yeah, the VIC-20 and then the Commodore 64. But um, those all had loads of games. We ended up with a Dragon. We which, didn't have any games. Which, we had to make them ourselves. Yeah, so we, we, we did suddenly feel that maybe we bought the wrong one, but... 
um, because it, it was very easy to program in basic and it had sprites that you could move around so it was fairly easy to make up your own games and we had to because we couldn't buy them uh, which was actually just a favor I think it's like when kids buy consoles now it sort of worries me that they're really really into games they can spend a lot of time with them they want to do a hobby and a console is just stuck in front of you and that's about all you can do and actually sometimes they give you an editor in a game and that's where people nowadays like release their creativity but um, that they didn't really have that option on the spectrum it was like play the game that's on the cassette or nothing at all well, um, you, can't, you can't play in the basic but the point it's is too hard the, but on, it was quite it was quite on a little tiny rubbery and there, keyboard and there were lots of, were lots of games so you're just going to get distracted whereas on the dragon 32 we didn't get too distracted and we just looked for type in listings everywhere and modified type in listings and tried to make our own games um then like maze games like sort of pac-man see if we can make our own pac-man that was, I mean, that must be such a thrill to be at that age where you're playing the games and then you want to create something and you've got, you've saved up and you've got the tool and to create it. Can you, can you remember what it was like that first time that you typed in all the code and what you typed in was then playable on screen? Yeah, well, it wasn't quite the dream you might think. <laughs> um, usually it takes you ages to type it in. Then you found it didn't run because it was full of bugs and typos. So you spent ages doing it. And then when you finally get it run, running, it's like... It's a bit slower than I thought. You have to, you have to lower, lower your expectations. You were aiming for Pac-Man, but you got at least something moving across the screen. Yeah, um, that's kind of game but, but we did. <laughs> but we were understanding and feeling proud of what we were doing. And it's, it's all about stepping stones. I mean, every part of our journey has just been sort of a little bit bigger and a little bit better every time. Again, for kids today, it's like the... Sort of, they go. Oh, I want to write a game now. How would I start writing um, Call of Duty or Forza? <laughs> <laughs> you just wouldn't know where to start. I mean, I have to say it's great that things like the iPhone um, and little games like Candy Crush exist. Happy Bird. Because people have something they can actually kind of aspire to. You can aspire to, and you within reach. Yeah, that's within reach. Whereas actually, it felt like what was in the arcades and now starting to be published was within reach. We were below it, but we were sort of doing something. We're, we're, we're naive enough to think that we were really rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, the, and, and we thought the computers had kind of enough technology that if we were clever, we could do it. Um, actually, the arcade machines were kind of probably a, a level up in their sophistication. Yeah, but um, after a little while and after a few sort of um, steps, we managed to upgrade via getting paid for typing listings and things um, to a BBC Micro. And actually, that was a pretty decent computer. Uh, yeah. That was going into all the schools, had lots of memory, easy to program. You could even learn Assembler on that one because they had a very, very neat trick where you could put Assembler in, into basic code. And now you could properly write exact copies of arcade games. In fact, I think um, yeah. Acorn Soft made, it, made a business of that, mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. doing exact ports. Uh, Completely unlicensed, which was a bit strange, but uh, those are the days, eh? So, so at that point, we kind of knew that we had the sort of power, we had the equipment. It was now down to our skill, and completely our skill. Um, um, but of course, the, the trick was not doing a basic, because basic was slow, but it was trying to learn assembler, which is a tricky beast. Um, but we had it all in front of us. They've got like, there's the tools, there's the kit. It's now going to you to learn. So we've got the advanced um, user guide, which um, basically told you what every instruction in the assembler did. Um, and then we just tried to reverse engineer 
other bits and pieces and look at typing listings that included assembly and try to work out how that all worked. And you've got to remember, this was the early 80s. So on TV, it was BBC One and ITV. Well, there was BBC Two, but there was nothing on that. It was political. Uh, <laughs> it was always just a bit... So uh, we didn't really read books. And we had homework in front of us. So what would you do? <laughs> Play on the computer or do your homework? So we did, used to um, almost uh, go, well, I'm spending lots of time learning on the computer to, to try to avoid doing your English homework or something. <laughs> well, we, we had uh, the, the driver that gave us the bug to sort of make our own games. By the time we got to the BBC, there were actually an enormous number of brilliant games. So we did get a little bit distracted, but in some ways, when you're trying to learn a trade and learn a skill, you kind of need to know what everybody else is doing and kind of almost study the market um, by seeing all the different genres and different techniques and everything that everybody else is employing. Um, so that came at about the right time for us that we were able to then peruse all the other games um, on the BBC, having already got the bug thinking, now we want to make games, so kind of how can we make our own games? How can we make them this good? Um, so or kind of new creations to that quality. So how did you start coming up with the original ideas for games then? What would, where did you get your inspiration from? So I think at first, um, with sort of the, 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 the typing listing um, on the Dragon, the first thing that got published, it was a case of what the computer could do. Um, efficiently and faster. Well, you wanted to do a typing listing, so we had to sort of make it fairly. Yeah, so, so a lot of the time you were actually kind of thinking, what does the computer do um, and work around that? That was your sort of biggest um, hurdle almost. It's like, what are the technical limitations? Um, and then you work around that. Now, over the years, and as the computers um, got better and better, the technical limitations are less of the driver. Uh, but in the early days, the, the biggest, like 90% of the driver was what can the computer do, and the 10% was wow. sort of the creativity that yeah. you can now sort of apply within that, those restrictions. I mean, if you're on a Commodore 64, we won't actually, but you would literally go, right, I can scroll the screen around, put 256 characters or whatever. And eight sprites. And eight, eight sprites. <laughs> so, so now, what, what imagery, what storyline, what... Uh, image or whatever can I create genre. What genre? Um, is around that? Is it a maze? Is it a... yeah? So so, uh, so we so you look at the restrictions. So I guess that was one of the first ones. The initially we looked at um, the market on the BBC. So after having our success on the dragon, getting paid for that, and then moving to the BBC, we looked at all the games that were there, and, and we didn't think our skill was good enough to actually compete with the arcade games. The the high-quality games written in assembly. So we started by writing some basic games, trying to get them published. We won the Saturday TV show, which um, was fantastic. They said design a game and you've got to be kind of under 15 and stuff. Uh, very funny YouTube video, but... So we won that competition, but that was written in basic. But uh, we managed to get that published, which was awesome. So then it was like, okay, that's kind of a soft soft market because we're ending with a board game rather than an arcade game so then it was like okay so what what soft markets are there because we want to get our stuff published we don't want to just write it for ourselves we want to get this into the hands of other people um we couldn't compete with the, the defenders and pac-mans and, and snapper sorry uh, <laughs> um planetoid and snapper yeah planetoid and snapper <laughs> 
So we decided to go off the educational market. So we did a couple of educational games, um, and they went kind of okay. Used they got published, and we got paid. We got paid a few hundred pounds. Um, sort of magic math, magic clock, and telescope, and a few things like that. But then we thought, oh, no, we needed to sort of redo the assembler. So um, we did a game called Cavey, which was kind of like um, a Galaxians, but instead of it being kind of in a black space, we decided to sort of with a cave man throwing spears and Yeah, well, it's supposed to be a sort of irony that if the others sort of, if the other um, shooters are going into, into, go into the future, what if you went into the past? So it was a cave man running backwards and forwards along a, a log, shooting in his spears into the sky to pull down pterodactyls which are swarming around. Um, we thought it was funny irony. Yeah, um, and basically that was inspired by Maxis. Um, just basically saying, take the gameplay of the Maxis and uh, apply it um, to a different kind of uh, graphical look and a different kind of story. Uh, so that's kind of where we got that inspiration from. If we move on a little bit, I mean, our, our biggest, big first hit was Super Robin Hood, and that was inspired by the fact that there was the Jet Set Willys and Manic Miners of the day, where it started to become the idea of the platform game, because um, that was a few sprites and screens, and we thought, well, that's a really sort of good idea. They're flipping hard games, but we'll, we'll, we'll make ours a little bit easier. Um, but we were thinking, how can you theme it in a more interesting way? And we had this idea because we were sort of aware of copyright and that people were doing things that they shouldn't, uh, um, shouldn't copy. But we were thinking, what really, really interesting things that are popular that people recognize, but we could get the IP. And then we said, oh, actually, like, and we were looking at things like the Charles Dickens and, and, and things and thinking well there's certain things that out to copyright and immediately we was like oh king arthur or or robin hood these are things that everyone knows everybody understands exactly the setup and the the premise for whatever you're going to do robin hood's great because it's got projectile weapons yeah every, every well projectile weapons. the moment you say robin hood it's it's obvious you've got a hero character um you've got castles you've, you've got, got villains you've got villains you've got bow and arrows and we thought well yeah we can have like um, storming a castle and running along ca castle walls. Um, so that's where the inspiration, it was kind of, and we knew that people would instantly uh, recognize and feel comfortable. Yeah, what storyline, you only have to say Robin Hood to somebody and they kind of get what storyline is and what the expectation is, and it does make an action adventure. If I said, um, Uridium. If you say Uridium, <laughs> and they go, well, what, what the hell is what that? Is I have to explain, I have to show you artwork, and I have to sort of say what the rules are, and who's the good guys and the bad guys. And, we know that that was a classic, but it, yeah. it, it, it takes a bit of a sell. Um, so we wanted to just make it easy. Just an instant sort of, look, you're rubbing it. <laughs> There we go, yeah, got it. And, um, yeah, and, and, and in fact, um, we did sell it, off, sell it to Codemasters off the back of pretty much just saying we're going to do a game and it's going to be based on Robin Hood. And that's the, the famous one where we were, when we were at the meeting at ECTS in September 85, we basically presented them a, a single sheet of paper which basically said Super Robin Hood at the top. Platform game. Platform game, and here's some other games we've produced in the past. And they were like, yeah, we'll pay you £10,000 for that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and they didn't need any explaining to them. Um, they got it. Um, and we didn't need explaining to us what £10,000 was worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's where we kind of basically shot off. That was it. That was our real start, sort of. Yeah, that was our, sort of our breakout moment, um, an opportunity. Well, that was the opportunity. The door was open and we had to 
sort of grasp it with both hands. So we um, quickly put it home and worked feverishly on one six six Amstrad CPC six six four computer. Yeah, we, we, we scheduled our time because one one computer, yeah, one computer. So we wanted to literally be sort of at the computer typing as much as possible. So we used to set the alarm clock and like wake up and go to bed, and we'd cross over in the middle and talk about what we managed to get working, what we hadn't got working, and yeah, it was a bit of a wacky time. But we were just desperate to go. Really, ten thousand pounds? Bloody hell! Definitely. Before you change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we managed to get that paid before we programmed in under a month or a um, drove it straight back to Gobarth's offices, turned up with it, said, there you go. And they kind of vaguely remembered the conversation and sort of uh, then broke it to us that actually what they really meant was that was an estimate of how much we would receive in royalties, which was extremely disappointing. Um, but they were really excited by it. They were really nice guys. And they were saying, look, our first duplication run is going to see you getting £2,000 because we're going to sell it to set the manufacturer. That's going to be £2,000 just off the initial run. But you know what? If it goes well, we will do reruns. Um, and let's see how it goes. Um, £2,000 was still pretty decent, and we didn't really have a lot of choice at that point. Um, so it was like, okay, a bit disappointing, but go on then. Um, but actually, they, they put it out within a couple of weeks. I mean, the turnaround time is awesome. It's like you give a cassette to somebody, and they, they put it into shops a few weeks later, and it went straight to number one. Yeah, and it was just brilliant. I mean, we were so happy to walk into WH Smith's and Woolworth's and just see it sort of in the top slots, and we did get sort of yeah. 10 grand. Yeah, we did. I mean, sort of following sort of a few months later, and sort of after Christmas, um, our royalties amounted to about 10,000 pounds. So it all came through. That must have been the end of the paper round then, definitely. Well, well actually, yeah, yeah. Well, that paper round actually stopped for the time when we, we did all the drag. And um, our parents kind of um, threw in the rest of the money. We, just really, we, we were kind of three quarters away there, and they kind of threw in the rest. But um, the, the Robin Hood experience and uh, creating that game, and, and to be honest, we when we created it and we showed the Code Masters, and £2,000 kind of was still pretty good. We had got such a bug. We absolutely loved what we had created. We were proud of ourselves, and we're going, we're doing that again. It's like, right, what's the next game? Um, we'd done a platformer and everything, so it's like, right, let's do a platformer again with a different theory. So, uh, sorry, a different theme. Sorry. Yeah, we were quite big fans of uh, Ghostbusters and Scooby Doo, and I think uh, Ghost Hunters. Was just, this... yeah, can you can you storm a haunted mansion? So we we've just done can you storm a castle? Now can you storm a, a haunted castle with ghosts and trapdoors? Haunted mansion. Haunted mansion. Sorry. Um, so that was the idea for that one. Um, and we basically had already established a work pattern. Um, and so just kept doing it. This, this was just as our friends had all left going to university. So our friends had left us and we, we had nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> this was, uh, we decided to take a year out. Um, our sort of headmaster had sort of convinced our parents that they seem really passionate about this games thing. Why don't you just give them a, give them a year out, try it, and, and they'll probably get it out of their system when they don't make any money. Um, yeah, we got that one <laughs> I mean, I actually think genuinely um, they wanted us to succeed. I mean, they all wanted us to succeed. It just none of them actually believed it would happen. It's. I mean, it sounds like you know from what you're saying. I mean, do you miss those days that sort of like simplicity, the using the imagination. You already said that. You know, I'm 39 this year, and it's. I still remember like <laughs> flying around. 
<laughs> a little sprite right. on a screen and it's that's the Millennium Falcon, you know, and, and that was my imagination at work because we've obviously, you've, you mentioned consoles today and they're so graphically intensive and everything else. Do you miss those days or do you think, no, actually, it's all about moving forward now and utilising the tools that we've got there's, now? There's pluses and minuses. I mean, we were super proud of what we were creating um, because it was just us. Um, and you can tell the graphics <laughs> were just <laughs> us. Um, but it's okay, we got away with it because computers were a bit rubbish. But you could you could sit back and go, right, all of those games sort of on the shelf or whatever, it's like they are 100% our work. Um, so we've got lots of games which were 100%, nobody else had any, any interference kind of. Whereas now, no, well, help or whatever, it, they were very much ours. Now we, we run a company with, with big team and we've had teams before, um, and you, you, you're kind of very proud of it because you've helped make it all happen, and it's so impressive. But frankly, all the people on the team are doing a way better job in each of their different areas than we could have ever done, and it's super impressive. So, so it's, it's about proud of the team um, rather than sort of proud of the individual elements. Um, but, but they are amazing. I mean, we are sort of bringing these artificial worlds to life, these virtual worlds, and it is absolutely incredible. Uh, and the number of people you can reach these days. So when we were um, making sort of games like Rocket Nerd, um, okay, we sold 100,000 copies or something, uh, probably more than that, in fact. Um, but these days, um, you put out a digital game like Sky Siren, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it's millions. It's hundreds of millions. It's, it's, it's just, and the quality of the entertainment and the volume of hours and the depth and everything else. So you just look at it, it's just like, oh my God, it really is a living, breathing, virtual world of cartoon characters. With, uh, and it's just, it's just quite incredible. The, the, another thing is that everything we used to see in our games, apart from being sort of underly impressive graphically, was really really hard work to make and you'd, you'd slave over something and then hopefully sort of a few days of hard slave you'd see something and you go that's not bad whatever kind of playable. yeah it's kind of playable we're actually sort of like directing the team on the sky side and you have a bit of a sort of brainstorm or something you talk about an idea of like, i don't know some magical portal or something and then a week or so later you look at it and go that is better than I could have ever imagined. And you just go, how the bloody hell? And sometimes you actually play the game and you suddenly see something that somebody's done and it's, you just think, wow, you just get sucked that in and is go. just a flipping amazing. It's like we're right next to it and knowing about how it all how it all works or something. I mean, uh, the one that got me back at Christmas was when they put snow in. I was like, oh, yeah, I can understand how you put snow in a game. And then you realise it's all procedurally generated landscapes and the snow is actually settling on all the leaves of the trees and you go, hang on a moment. <laughs> it's like, I know we talked The light comes through and then the snow follows through afterwards and, you, and then leaves a, a kind of a, a mark of snow yeah. on the floor where it came through. How uh, did you do that? It's like, I know you guys are really clever and I kind of know the rough principles but I'm sort of blown away just going, I just don't know how they, how they pulled that off. <laughs> so yeah we're, we're proud in other ways we're proud of the, the team it's just around it's us it's just very very different um, I mean one thing I would say that's kind of very nice about the experience we have on Sky Cyber is that we're all focused on one game the game is phenomenally creative we're not having to work to sort of somebody else's IP or, or somebody else's kind of instructions that we don't really agree with but we'll have to do it because that's the only way we're going to get paid Mm -hmm. um, everybody's just, just focused on being creative and, 
and doing their arts, their art either being sort of design, art, code, or audio. audio. Uh, I think we have slipped into talking about Sky Sider now. Yeah, we have, sorry about that. <laughs> If you wanted to step back a bit, we can. We'll, we'll, ju- we'll just rewind a bit. I know we had definitely... Yeah, we will. Rewind. <laughs> I just wanted to... One thing I want to talk to you about, because you released... Um, you, well, you made a, a series of simulator games. Now, this may sound crazy to you, but I think the most hours I put in to a game on the spectrum was probably Fruit Machine Simulator. Yeah. <laughs> I spent no, so no, long on that. Quite fine. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, the simulator, they, they all came about because, again, it, using that same principle that we had with Super Robin Hood, what in it can you put on a cassette box which kind of is attractive to, to the right kind of target audience? So you kind of look at who's buying the games and you think, you know what, it's kind of seven, seven to 14 year old, sort of mostly male, but kind of what, what sort of things interest them? Sports cars. Sports cars, that, that can interest them. Um, you said about Fruit Machine Simulator. Yeah, it always was something that if you went into a pub... We went into arcades. I mean, we went into the arcades, and you're seeing that half the people are playing, playing Pac-Man Space Invaders and things like that, but half, the other half are playing pinball machines and flute machines. Basically, the older, older kids. Cause it was cause, older, because there's real money at stake. Yeah, well, it had to be every you know. But that, but that made it aspirational. So you just kind of go, hmm, let's see. I, I think we can kind of take this home. And because one of the problems was with preaching particularly is that it was a rich kid's sport. We had to be over 18 and, and money. But by having it on the spectrum, we, could, um, we, we definitely knew that people aren't going to have that issue because it's clearly, you can play the fruit machine now with eight being old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and without it costing you too much money, um, you can still sort of, um, sort of have the enjoyment of playing yourself or with friends and stuff, and you can choose to do matchsticks or chocolate. I think we used to use chocolate. I was going to say, we used to play against each other and have one as the banker and then one, and you t- turn it into a real thing. So I think we might have done money at some time. <laughs> yeah. But um so if you go through a phase for about three years, um, literally of having bowls of chocolate. Oh god, yeah, don't talk about that. And every time you finish a major routine, so you kind of break break any game into uh, you break down the big tasks into smaller tasks and smaller So we and break down the bar of chocolate into the smaller tasks. Exactly. Mm. So we get the down to what we estimated was about an hour's worth of work. So, for example, a character falling. So, a character climbing a ladder, you say, well, when, when the character is able to climb the ladder, go down the ladder, fall off the ladder, task complete, cross it off the list, and then you add these chocolate. And so, there was always kind of a piece of chocolate. Yeah, we did do that for ages and ages. For two or three years, it was a bowl of chocolate. It was always born, but born was best. Sorry, not born there. Uh, is it Andrew? Is it Andrew that's getting further away from the mic? Oh, sorry. I yes, I am being pushed away a little bit. <sighs> is it? I could just hear one of you getting slowly quieter. That was all. Uh, okay. <laughs> because one, I want to ask as well. I mean, it would be remiss of us to get you on the show, and I'm sure you must be sick to death. Maybe you're not, but it's like you know, there's bands like Survivor who will always be associated with like Eye of the Tiger. There's you, the Oliver Twins, the Dizzy Games. I mean, how on earth did they start? I mean. And did you have any idea when you started them the, how iconic they would become? 
It's brilliant that people remember it and remember it so fondly, but that was just the extension of the platform games that we've been doing. But I have to say, it's also a little bit of a throwback in the fact that we would get really frustrated in like looking more at the other platform games, um, on particularly on, I remember sort of things like Monty Mole and stuff on the Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. It was like, why are games so flaming hard? It's like, so, <laughs> and we were looking at our audience and thinking, look, Generally, it was like younger kids were playing the games. You've got loads of time. Nobody needs to kick you off. It took like 15, 20 minutes to load the flipping cassette. Why do you need to kill kill the character all the time? So we just wanted to make something which was a bit slower paced that wasn't dexterity based um, that you could think about so that there was something, a different type of gameplay. Uh, one, of the, one of the very big important things then about any game, uh, especially when you only had to click screens and you weren't scrolling around, was what's on the next screen. So if you think about something like Manic Miner, it took me ages to sort of master the first level. And, the re- and your motivation was to see what the next screen looked like. So with Disney, what we were trying to do was sort of say, let's make sure that there's kind of this, this rich and really imaginative world, and you really want to know what's on the next screen. So we were just trying to come up with a method of painting this kind of rich world with caves and ice mountains um, and sort of really interesting places um, that basically you can explore. I bet you had a lot of fun coming up with the names and characters for the Yoke folk. Was, was that an interesting uh, discussion and meeting? Absolutely. So um, I'm just quickly going. Um, yeah. So the Yoke folk. What came about on the first game? We didn't really have many characters. It was mainly kind of dizzy against the world. Um, on Treasure Island, dizzy. We kind of introduced a few sort of enemies and, and characters. Well, the idea was he was dumped on a desert island. Um, yeah, so so, had so to... there really wasn't much at all. Um, but, but on the cover illustration, there's a lovely picture of a pirate. Um, and I, I really like the idea of kind of characters that are kind of against you. So we sort of, uh, for the Dizzy 3, Fantasy World Dizzy, we came up with a bunch of characters that were against you and then thought, and we can't just like everybody you meet be against you. It's like he's, he's kind of on his own. So why don't we kind of give him some friends, um, sort of uh, like an extended family? And so that's where the idea of sort of the, the other character, the Yoke folk, came from. Um, the, the fact that they got ended up being called the Oak is because by this time everybody was calling Dizzy an egg. Um, which he kind of looks like an egg, so I can see why they did We didn't in that initially intend it to be an egg. Uh, initially, it was just a large happy face. Um, the, the biggest face that we kind of get moving around because we wanted the face to show expression, to show that he was scared, to show he was happy. Um, and then, of course, we put the sort of boxing gloves and. Um, the boots on him because how does a face move around without those? Um, <laughs> but with, with restrictions and being aware of very few colours and attributes on a spectrum, we've kind of like, you just picked prime, bold colours. Um, yeah. And actually things like arms and legs were just non, not really necessary uh, on the screen. So he, di- he didn't have those. Um, as for the names themselves, we came up with a nice little family. At that time, we were kind of, watching things like the Smurfs cartoon um, and they've got the little um, family family. and we were thinking well we want to give them a family like that 
Um, but what to show that they're family, what would they have in common? And okay, we'll start with D. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to say we came up with a few names, and I think we came up with Denzel and Dylan first, uh, and then yeah, De- Dizzy, Denzel and Dylan, and he's like, "Hang on, right? We we've got something going here. So let let's say that these are all family, and then if we did another game." Um, and they were to meet another family, they'd start with all Fs or something. Um, but we kind of never went there. <laughs> um, but there was always the sort of thought that you can tell they're the same family because they start with the same letter. Um, they don't need surnames, just just uh, their first initial will do. It's all related. They're all basically got the sort of villainous characters and sort of big, big red boots and um, gloves. And um, obviously, Ubovoid. And so actually, sort of coming up with each of the stereotypical characters, um, you have to sort of take the extremes um, for each character. You have a lot of lines of dialogue to give each one, and each one needs to play a role in the game, so each one's got to need something. Uh, um, so, like, a, the, the girl needs a rescuing, uh, <laughs> or something like that. So each, each character has a very, a, a very stereotyped character. Um, that's something you can read a lot into. So um, we decided to go for a hippie character. Um, kind of looked around at the classic sort of hippie characters of the time that kind of inspired us. There's Neil from the Young Ones, who was on at the time, and Dylan from the Magic Pandemics. They, they, they seem to be our archetypal hippies. So he's kind of a, a mix of those two characters. Um, that's Dylan. We've got um, Daisy, who is our heroine. Um, she's the pretty blonde. And she was really based on Daphne from Scooby-Doo. Uh, they wanted the sort of geeky girl um, character um, as the, the sister, so we came up with Dora, and she was really based on Melma yeah. from Scooby Doo. Yeah. Um, then he's more characters. So Denzel was supposed to be the cool dude, so he's yeah, like he, the Fonz. Yeah, he's the coolest thing in the kind of 80s. He's got the Fonz, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dozy, uh, I think we just wanted a character that basically always fell asleep. Um, and his problem was that he couldn't hold a sentence together. Um, yeah, actually, I don't remember. I can't remember who he was based on. We but... did base him on anyone. And, I mean, Dizzy himself. Um, he was Indiana Yeah, he was Indiana Jones, I was just going to say. Um, he was just an adventure. Um, but it, he was kind of a young, enthusiastic, Explorer. slightly. Uh, Naive, I think. Um, I definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the last character to sort of hang it all off um, is Grant Dizzy. Um, and he came in because we wanted a buddy daddy old kind of character. Well, a wise character. If there was some story or dialogue that was talking about the old days, or that it was always good to sort of have some somebody of wise wisdom and stuff. Although I have to say, we kind of, I remember thinking about sort of. We, we were fans of Only Fools and Horses, and there was a sort of granddad, and then it turned into the uncle. And it was kind of like, well, somewhere mixed between those two. What was your favourite What was your favorite part of creating games back then? Just being able to come up with ideas and um, put it all in and... Uh, and chip it. <laughs> <and> chip <laughs> it. Just, um, after the days of Codemasters, because they're Codemasters, when we were sort of making games, we kind of made them at home, Fly them up to the game masters, show them that they go, that's awesome. Do you have some suggestions for the illustration or lack of box text? 
quite often we would ourselves. So I think they actually brilliant for that. There's quite often us doing all that role building. Um, and we could basically just do whatever we wanted, and people loved it, and people bought it, and we got paid lots of money. And it was so efficient production wise. I mean, we aimed to make a game a month. Um, we didn't always pull that off, but, but there's a couple actually that we did a lot quicker than that. Um, a funny little story, actually, I've got to say, um, because we were famous for saying absolutely brilliant, and a lot of our games sort of have the little star. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's true, though. But <laughs> it was a funny little... It's absolutely brilliant, right? Yeah. No, it was a funny little joke that, that I think the darlings used to say that we used that expression way too often, and they, it became a bit cliche that they'd pick us up on it if we ever said it. But then we were looking at some products that we bought, and I can't remember, some cheap light shades or lampshades or electronics or something and a lot of Chinese electronics used to have a little stamp a little stud on the bottom corner going quality product and we were like and we were going that's so naff it, or, it was, yeah. but it was a bit of a cliche and then we said oh we should just put on our games it's absolutely brilliant or just every game just, 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 just tell people it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> and it was a bit of a joke but then it was so kind of it, it was like the other joke that stuck, um, which was. Well, by the way, I mean, it probably was. Well, we we'll put it on one thing. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, that was that was quite funny. And then, then the other sort of very similar joke um, was we put sort of buy the Oliver Twins and then we put buy the best-selling Oliver Twins. Um, <laughs> and then one of the, they go, oh, buy the infamous Oliver Twins. And I can't remember what the game is, <laughs> but one of the games says buy the infamous. And it was just like thrown out there as a joke. About, and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, that will be funny. And I don't know how many people sort of picked up on it and go, that's a bit strange. But it was just a sort of joke. And that's the kind of thing you did we, back we, then. We were all actually having a good laugh. I mean, what, what, what changed after sort of the Game Masters is, um, well, what we actually have changed towards the end of Game Masters, which is kind of what we've done, is that the politics of kind of how much stuff was costing during development and who had to approve everything and all this kind of stuff. Doing work and getting something done by somebody else, and it just like, oh god, it just became a, a, a real drag. Um, but by that time, it's going to be a career as you're living, and we'd actually start hiring employing people, we had offices and everything else, and um, it all just became a little bit kind of a bit depressing. But you try to make the best of the situation, and you try to make the best of the things you can. Um, the situation. So the, the console years were a little bit kind of you don't because it's a job make the best of it you can. And some of the games we made sort of when we were blitz, we're, we're very, very proud of, but you, you would always... Most yeah, of so the games we're proud of. Yeah, but we always took it at a client's request, and it was always kind of, always a lot harder than it needed to be, arguing why something needed to be of a certain way, um, working within ridiculous restrictions. Um, so so we, we always made the best of it, but it wasn't as happy from a creative point of view. We were very excited, very proud of the company we were building, the teams that we had, the fact that people were getting good livings out of it and everything. And most of the games that we created. Yeah, most of the games we created, and, um, and they did sell a lot. I mean, um, all the games we, we made, everything, um, sold a lot of copies. So, yeah, we're still very proud of them. 
Yeah. At one point, I mean, you, all your hard work paid off because you had up to six games in the top ten at one stage. And it, we did. That was back in the Codemasters days. Um, yeah, we, we in about eighty-eight, I think it was. Maybe eighty-seven. Did rule seven percent of all games sold in the UK were written by me and Andrew. Yeah, so we're quite proud of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah I did put, did it pretty well there. Of course, moving on, we're going to hope for this success. Let's get on. Let's get on. We mentioned it earlier. Sky Saga. How did this come into fruition? Then, what was the genesis of the idea for Sky uh, Sky Saga? What started you off with it? Um, well, well, somebody, but I'll, I'll kind of leave it the name out of it at the moment. Sort of said to me um, a few years ago that if I got an issue, you had all this talent and all this team and everything. What? What's the game you'd want to buy? What's the game you'd hmm. want? Basically, I do matter because for the last 20 years, every asset retailer has walked right um, and kind of taking it away from us, saying, You've got to make a game with SpongeBob in it, you've got to make a game with this character, you've got to make a game with that character. Um, so that can't be taken away from us. So, so I kind of. It was an interesting question. It was a fair question. And it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. It's like, I'm not having been really in that situation for so long. I can't believe it. But it, 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 it dwelled with me for quite a long time. Um, and you're watching other things in the back of my pocket, and you're just like, oh, I'm quite like that over there. I'm quite like that over there. It is frustrating that when you look out there, it was games based on licenses or sequels of something that's worked. And it was getting a little bit dry that you wouldn't, weren't seeing many fresh so things. Talking, um, autumn 11? Yeah, don't know. Autumn 2011, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it is, autumn 2011. So, um, over Christmas, I've been willing about this for a long time. A few people have sort of talked about stuff at work, and I was like, that's an interesting idea, that's an interesting idea. And then over Christmas, uh, I was, I kind of stopped living reading games, even though it's a Christmas holiday and everything. It's my work, you can't tell everybody. Um, and I basically thought, actually, I'm going to sit down and actually start writing what I think would be an awesome game. Um, so I basically just started pulling ideas together. Um, Avatar the movie come out with this floating island, so I quite like that. Um, Zelda had kind of done similar and looked gorgeous and played really nicely. Minecraft was just coming onto the scene and it was kind of looking quite interesting with some people talking about Minecraft and it winning various awards around there. And the various online MMOs yeah, and they, things yeah, we'd play. Christmas, but I actually missed it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So anyway, I I kind of pitched this around, and, and everybody was like, "Actually, that's quite intriguing. Actually, yeah. that's quite good." In the in the office, we all thought it was a reasonable idea, but then we had to go to GDC, um, it, which was end of February, March, and we go to the meetings. E3 and GDC, when you go to America and you meet the publishers, and you want to have meetings with them, but but if you want to get the next game from Disney, the way wasn't to just say, can I have a meeting with you, and have you got any games to offer that you need, like writing? It was always... But what we found um, is you say, we've got something to show, show you. you. We want to bring something to you. And, and that, that gets you the... Yeah, so they're... Yeah, it's like, well, what are you going to show us? Because then they feel that that's going to be an interesting meeting because if the if you're sitting on some some gold dust then we want to see it. So if we, a supplier just says I can look at like yeah you and the next guy it's like not interested in meeting. So it was a good way of getting meetings and we'd all talked about this idea that Philip had come up with and we'd all gone yeah that's pretty good actually. So then we got some artists and designers to sort of beef it up into a presentation. But, but I have to say. But, um, just didn't. Actually, back in so this would have been twelve years ago. Twelve. Just anybody was saying consoles the only places at. Voices properties the only places. He just didn't go anywhere. So nobody was interested at all. It's just they were lost after. Um, and even when you sort of say, well, they told us some traits of Minecraft. Today that means something. Back then it really didn't mean anything. I think everybody had heard of Minecraft. There's this kind of kooky thing. It's like passing fad. Uh, um, so everybody kind of heard of it, and it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of an indie thing, it's like not really our thing, and we wouldn't put any money behind anything like that. Um, so actually, nobody's interested, just, it just went nowhere. So we carried on doing the likes of Epic Mickey 2, and... Um, I think we got quite a few Connect games around that time. Yeah, yeah, so Biggest Loser and stuff like that. So we carried on, running the business, we had over 200 people, it's about 220 um, very talented staff here in the UK. Um, and we, we carried on doing sort of usual sort of big games that we've done for all these publishers. Um, that's what it, the reason it actually then suddenly came back is because Minecraft in the background just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. And then two years later, no, a year later, um, March, February, uh, March, GDC 2013, a new company asked to have a meeting with us. Um, so we, we, we said, yeah, yeah, that's good and everything. And in the meeting, we sort of said, well, what we're really looking for is kind of something in the Minecraft genre, but we need to take it a lot, lot further. But we're happy to pay, uh, we're happy to pay good money, a big professional team that has a vision for where that genre should go in the future. And then, well, I said, that pitch with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically, quickly, Enthused at this kind of pitch that I'd done, and, uh, and I had basically ripped it out quick and, and pitched it at them. Um, I think I had a, a week's warning to be fair, but they did actually tell us to come beforehand, so I'd actually kind of pre prepared it. Um, and they loved it. And um, that same day, um, they asked to have a second meeting and bring, bring back some other attacks. Um, and, and basically, um, yeah, everybody kind of loved our enthusiasm. They ended up sending sort of some of their execs to our office a few weeks later. Um, and sort of a few months later, we managed to sort of get a contract to do that prototype, sort of a little demo for them. 
I know my son's been a, an alpha tester on this for, hey. for, quite, for quite a while now. Hey, <laughs> and he's he's loving it. He is loving it. And I didn't take too much notice of it, I'll be honest, until we went to play Blackpool the other week and I saw more footage of it there. And it's really intrigued me now. It's really intrigued. I love the visual style of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you were explaining about the game, the gameplay elements that are involved in it and the way that... Um, You've not. I mean, I, one of the things that really impressed me as well was when you were explaining, which is a, a big down point to a lot of these games. I find that if you come into it late, and you 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 find yourself way behind everybody else that has been playing it for so long, but it seems the way that you're structuring this, you can drop into this at any point from its release, and right. you're not going to feel lost in it. No, no. Right. So, I mean, they, right. The game we're trying to create, um, the the Starbase, the company behind this, are an extremely rich company, um, like ridiculously rich, because um, they got um, a, a big game called Crossfire. That's the most popular game in China. Um, so um, they basically asked us to create a game that had really, really wide appeal. Global appeal, global appeal, all ages, all genders, ages, genders whatever, playstyle you want and everything, which actually really fits us down to the ground. Because the games we used to do, um, just me and Andrew, were basically trying to be games for the sort of middle market. They weren't really hardcore games, they weren't trying to be kind of really dumbed down games, they were kind of middle market games. And the games we always did as Blitz Game Studios were sort of the mid mid mid-range market, quite often using other people's IP, like Mickey Mouse or SpongeBob and things like that. So the idea of trying to create a new brand with characters which is going to have sort of this global appeal actually fitted us down the brand. You're only making games that are easily approachable, but they don't have longevity and can be mastered and can have depth and everything. It, it just everything, it kind of adds up. Um, and we already kind of created this structure which allowed sort of freedom. I mean, sandbox is what they call it in the industry, a sandbox gameplay, where players can do whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, but that's kind of what the game has already set out to do. So if people want to be fighters um, and then go after sort of um, the fighting experience, they can do that. But if they want to play more passively and they want to be farmers or they want to just be creators and build lovely, beautiful buildings, they can do that too. Um, so, we, we, I mean, everything has just come together so beautifully. Um, I'm going to, we're obviously so proud. And of course, the, the team that we have here. Um, they're amazing. They're amazing. Oh, it's, it's a it's a beautiful looking game. Uh, I was watching some videos of it earlier, and look, just going back to Dizzy, just very briefly to touch on that. You know, the imagination of those characters, and the, a lot of the characters that you've got here. You know, looking at pictures of the trader, the miner, the gladiator. They're very, you know, imaginative and um, very well designed. Um, how did that all come about? Uh, by having very talented artists. <laughs> 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 I mean. Um... I'd like to say we had a hand in it. I mean, we had a hand in the fact that we create a, a certain environment and we kind of picked these people over the years um, and kind of promoted the ones that we kind of liked and did the, the style of work um, and had the right work ethics and skills. And then we, we have sort of meetings and say, right, we want to create a character that has these obvious traits. Yeah. Um, and say, so if you were to do a gladiator, but we don't want it to look a hardcore, we want it to sort of look sort of, well, it's, it's a cartoon style, it's but, but it's, it's got to be totally unique. So you give a sort of 
a little bit of a brief and they go away and they just create something that you could never have even imagined and you think that's absolutely yeah. that's brilliant occasionally, occasionally we, we tweak yeah there's been a few little things where we go mm, actually don't put the scars on his face just because he's a fighter <laughs> hopefully we want to show that he's been bottled or something <laughs> <laughs> It's good because this is a game that you've got a long-term plan for as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the amount of scope and the things that we think for this game is huge. Um, it, it's because uh, we can take all these games. So um, another sort of game genre that Philip just touched on was say farming and like the things that made people like farming or the things that made people farm like bill. yeah sorry the farm bill or tamagotchis and stuff. And you go hang on we can put all this in. It, it's a brilliant sort of framework framework and platform to put in lots of different game styles. So we're not going to quite have racing. But most other types... Yeah, I think probably good. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I, I kind of think the game's kind of open enough. Um, that you can start to just put different things in, and you'll yeah. find that people can all play together, and that's one of the things. It's all um, it's all networked right. all the time, and you can just dive in and, and find your friends very easily. It's all supposed to be super connective. Super connected. Super connected, and you'll find that, um, I don't know, kids in a classroom... Social playground. Yeah, kids in a classroom, you might find some want to do some animal nurturing farming, and some might want to be creating, and some are actually fighting and battling or, or some something. Some are adventuring. But they all keep being brought back into the social hub and showing off and then going on different ways. And you realise it's a pretty big platform, but the way in which we're trying to create it should cater for, for most types of gameplay. So we, we see a very long future for it. And people, anybody can join the open alpha at the moment as well, can't they? Pretty it's, much. And I it's mean, all um... free. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> it's crazy. from the man behind the money kind of thing, is that he would much rather somebody carried on playing than we put a pay barrier in front of them and that stopped them playing. It's like, let me take money off people when they want to give it. But if people see this as, pl playing this is like a hobby, people are more than happy to pay money for their hobby. Um, and so that's generally the, the remit. Uh, yeah, and, and we're definitely going to avoid paying the win because we, we know that really impacts people a lot. The fact that, oh, I can play this game, but if somebody else has put money into it, they're going to basically beat me and everything's going to be. So we're basically not going to do any pay the win stuff in it. It's going to be sort of more the cosmetics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you said that it's in Alpha. Um, it is officially in closed Alpha. We are inviting people in. We have to sort of do that. But actually, most people who sign up get invited. <coughs> but, but we have to appreciate that it, the servers are up and down a little bit. Yeah, for example, if you signed up this week, you couldn't get in. 
But, but we've still got some issues in the fact that the game is so much in flux that if people create amazing buildings, we kind of want to encourage them to have amazing creations. But because a lot of the formats and things are all still a little bit in flux, yeah. then we, when we do an update, there has to be some resets, and that sort of is going to annoy people. And, and that's what we hackle Yeah, so um, we're going to beta when we feel that like we won't mess up people's save games because we are a little bit at the moment and we're very conscious of it. Um, but actually people keep on sort of asking like, well, why is it alpha when it's so big? And it actually seems pretty solid. Um, it is, it, it's, it's, it's alpha because we will occasionally delete data, sorry. Um, there will be times where we switch the servers off and suddenly there's a bunch of data that's missing. And whilst people think it's big, whilst people think it's big, we've got a, a, a huge vision for this. So actually, it's tiny. It, yeah. in, in, a, in some of our thoughts, this is a tiny part of what is actually going to we're going to create over the we, over the coming years. We, we in my head, go, oh, I know what this could be, and then I can fill in gaps. So I've heard of this game called Second Life. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of read the articles, and you have this amazing vision in your head of and what it should be. And then you kind of put a YouTube video. And you go, oh. That's my disappointment. So another thing that I was trying to do, and I forgot to mention earlier, was kind of create this kind of alternate universe, kind of like Second Life. But actually, let's make it a really interesting place. Let's make it graphically rich. Let's put adventures in there. Let's, let's let people craft and, and, and everything else and lots of stuff to discover and talk to friends and all this kind of stuff. And so it's all the stuff that I kind of pictured that the second life kept selling the dream, but they're not really trying. I know you can't put an exact date on it, but is there any sort of ballpark month, year? that you think it'll all be together and up and running properly? It will never be finished because... Never be finished. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's constantly yeah, ongoing. Yeah. But what you mean is, sort of, when we turn on... It's going to be quite far. It's going to be quite far. I mean, yeah. what we kind of say locally is, just sign up and start playing because trust me, it's, it's picking up now that you're going to have an amazing experience. But you, you don't go through this experience. Um, and that's what we want people to do. I mean, it's a, there, there is a day when the game's finished, but we honestly genuinely do not believe there is a day when this game starts finished. Uh, Certainly hope there isn't. <laughs> there's a day when we call it pizza, there's a day when we start checking money off people, there's a day when we stop spreading data. Um, we know roughly what that's in, but it's not something we kind of share at the moment. Well, we'll do. Of course, I'll put all the links of where people can sign up for the Alpha onto the, the notes on the website. For sure. I have to say, it's just such an easy... It's such a perfect name and the URL and everything. So basically, anything you Google Sky Saga and it's the easiest thing to remember. Yeah. They just don't find it instantly. I have to say, we 
well, like in the Naming past. Naming stones is a really, really tricky thing. It is. And this one, it took over a year to come up with a name. But we couldn't. Remember, when we got it, when we got it, we, it, we couldn't. We just can't, couldn't believe that we could get the dot coms and the Facebooks and stuff. And it's like, hang on, hang on, we've got something unique, we've, we've got really a... short, and it does seem to be fairly clear, and it doesn't have any okay, rude okay. connotations in other languages and all this sort of thing. <laughs> it's perfect name, it's perfect name and available, and it's sort of like I can't believe it. It's like quick. Quick, buy everything we can. Get, that, get the trademarks in and stuff. So, yeah. So hopefully that's nice and catchy. Um, something else I should mention, and that is, it's all about community nowadays, and it's all about um, every everyone sort of sharing and stuff. And we actually, so not only are we trying to embrace what the community do and 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 put all the tools within the game so that they can be sharing, we're sharing actually how the game is made as well, um, because we think that. that People are just fascinated by how these um, big games are made. Um, so we're, we're putting on our website, the Radiant World website, um, lots of little videos about why and how it was created. So in the, at the moment, we've got things like the concept artists talking about their inspiration for their characters and showing them sort of drawing it. And then like when we're creating the worlds, showing all this amazing concept art. So um, I don't know, when they're looking at the desert levels, it's like, well, a desert level could be a very boring, bland place, but some parts of deserts are quite interesting. So, um, take your kind of inspiration for sort of Moroccan bazaars. And yeah, things. Moroccan bazaars and Egyptian artifacts and pyramids and um, various tombs and things like that. So, we could kind of go, what's all the interesting, colourful stuff that could be in those sort of worlds? Um, and so they concept them up all beautifully, and then they put our, our art style on them, which uh, is generally sort of bold and slightly blocky, um, trying, trying to have those, those sort of things. Um, they're, they're really interesting videos. If anyone's interested to know, like, you start playing the game, then you realise that actually we're having full discussions on exactly how and why we've made it. Well, not only do we want this to be the biggest game in the world, and I know that's kind of quite a big ambition, but we actually believe and we have delivered. We have some of the most talented people in the world working on it. And, and a brilliant starting point, um, and, and sort of a, a big backer in smart to sort of make it all come true. But we want to be a shining example to to the sort of ask to, to people wanting to join the industry. It's like we're, we're going to morally do everything right, but we're also going to share how we made the game um, and, sh and show people sort of works. That's really interesting when you do things like that because I know I for one love seeing all the background how a game's put together and the development of it. The number of people we meet who just go, oh, it's just magic, and we'd love to know where it comes from. So you think about no any... magic, hard work, and talent. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, we're all big fans of Nintendo, but they just seem to come from nowhere. They're, they're, they're brilliant. It's close shop. It's close shop. Um, I mean, we obviously go to all the conferences, and we we just get loads from going in and, and with with speakers talking about how they made certain games, why they did this and that, and and we find those really interesting. You're thinking. Like, most people who play games actually would like to know a little bit more about how it's all done. But any DVD that you buy has kind of behind the scenes and making of and extras and stuff. And if you're a big fan, then you might want to see that stuff. So we thought we'll, we'll turn that and, and make sure that we do it within our game. And the other thing about embracing the community is we want people sort of creating sort of the fan sites of fan art. We want them putting lots of creations into the game and sharing lots of creations into the game. Um, so just embrace, just embrace everybody, and kind of um, that's the kind of new world of social media and everything. 
Yeah, I mean, it all sounds amazing. It's it, we've obviously got oh, a, a, we've got like a hell of a lot to look forward to with oh, the, you yeah. know the years that you're going to be adding to this. You know, I, I for one can't wait to get stuck into it. Well, I mean, you you said and thank you very much for saying um, that it all looks wonderful and beautiful now. We've been working on it about eighteen months, so things happen pretty quick. And in fact, no, yeah, yeah. The version the version you've looked at mm-hmm. um, is, it, is about is about three months old. So as in a few weeks' time, it's going to take another ramp up. Um, so we are we are beavering away, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's going to transform like fairly quickly. Um, Every two or three months, there'll be a massive sort of update. Um, so yeah, watch your space. Excellent. Sounds sure. really exciting, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it does. It it's does. quite fast as well. Because <laughs> 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 when we when we were sitting in meetings and people go, oh, I'm going to put this in, I'm going to put this in, it's like, man, seriously. And you kind of know that just the words sound evocative, but actually, when they actually realise it, sort of um, with with their graphics and their kind of programming and, and everything else, you're like, man, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> that was exciting for us too. I mean, what more, what more recommendation do people want? If if both of you are excited about it, we should definitely be excited about it. Everybody should be excited about it. It's game for everyone, and that's the other interesting thing is we've been able to create a game for everyone. Well, we we wish you every success with it, oh, and yeah, great. and Philip, Andrew, thank you so much for spending an hour with us as well because we do really appreciate it. That's all right. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. All right. Hope to talk to you again soon when Sky Saga's out. We can get all the update on it. It's kind of out now. Well, Well, you know. (laughs) Everybody sign up now. Absolutely. Why not? It's free. Yes. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Right, Chris. um, Didn't an hour go by so quick? I, I tell you what, mate, they, they, they're they just so interesting. We could have spent another two, three, four hours just talking to them and we only scratched the surface really about their history and about the future and, you know, we, we they're amazing. <laughs> you know, so interesting, so interesting. You know, and the fact that they've been around for that long, you know, in terms, I don't want to, make them sound old but uh you know they've been around for so long got so much experience if you think at the early age they started making games as well they're still in school you know and so but their passion hasn't dissipated at all it's just they've still got it you know and the fact that they can get so excited about the projects that they're working on right now it's infectious you know it, it you can't help but get excited and like you said if they're excited about what they're working on you know it's just hard not to be excited as well you know it is, and I think the the word that you use there with passion uh, comes across in the way that they talk, and obviously, you know, the way they threw themselves in the early years, the way that they worked so hard as as kids um, to make these games. You know, they've got this built-in deep passion for video games that they've still obviously got today. Yeah, and I mean, you know, working for them must be fantastic. You know, you can't imagine sort of like more pleasant excitable bosses do you know what i mean who when you show them something um when when they talked about sort of like when they see stuff that their artists produce and the the new ideas that come out of the teams you know and working for them you must be so sort of like again it's like what would drive you isn't it you know i want to do such a good job because you know that they're so enthusiastic about it all it's just you know they're you know such brilliant people and not 
you know, it, they say you shouldn't meet sort of like your, your heroes and people that you admire and, and stuff like that. But with those guys, they're just absolutely wonderful. That's it. And like you said, if you worked for them, you'd just, they'd just bring out the best in you. You'd want to put yeah. in the extra mile, wouldn't you, all the time? You you would. I mean, if you're having a bad day, they're the people you want to be around. <laughs> it is, isn't it? They're definitely the people. <laughs> you know, um, but they're just, yes, yeah, infectious. That's the word, I think, isn't it? Just Oh, yeah. Well, if you're going to sign up for the Alpha, mate, you're going to have to uh, give some feedback on uh, the other show that you're on. Either the one, maybe we might be able to name it this time as well. You know, your your video game show, the same coin. That this is true. Yes, I will. I'll have a go and um, sign up to it. And like they said, it is available. It's free to sign up for the Alpha. Um, I love as well what they were saying about they want to do things the right way in terms of you know monetization and sort of like. Um, not not being silly in terms of making things like pay to play or pay to win and all that sort of stuff and make it so open so that people can get involved and share their creations and and have that feedback and that dialogue with them you know and involve in the community I think that's something that's sometimes missing a little bit with video games these days that they want to encourage that and you know that it sounds as if they've got that sort of like um, financial oomph behind them to be able to do that and and I really think that they're going to be successful you know with it it is yeah and it is I'm sure this is something again going back to the talk at playback pool and tonight when we've talked to them um, the community side is definitely something that they want to push and that they're already getting involved and building up at this point but like you said with the monetization part of it as well is they're not going to block you from stuff you know there's nothing worse than well i'm never going to beat him or get that because i've not paid as much you know the the stuff there that will be available to buy if you want to buy it. and i think it's a great point like you said it's you know if it's a hobby i mean podcasting's a hobby it costs us money to you know host a podcast and host the website and, you know everything every hobby that you have more or less you've got to pay money for so if you're really investing your time into sky saga um, which it looks like you should be doing from the stuff that I've seen. Well, then it's no, it's no big deal of paying some money for it. Yeah, absolutely. What is it? You know, going down the pub or um, you know, buying it. Well, not with people. If you smoke or whatever, or um, or, or whatever, it's 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 the, that cost, isn't it? Like you said, it's it's your hobby, so why not? But it sounds like they're doing it the right way. It is definitely. But that was good. I really enjoyed that hour, mate. Yeah. That was that was excellent. Right, we better get on to um, how people can find and follow us online, mate. And I'll start off. What about you? Tell tell people about you in the same coin. Obviously, people that listen to this have got a, an interest in video games, so um, let them know all about you in the same coin. Yes, weekly, uh, generally weekly for uh, video game show uh, with myself, Ben, and Dits. Um, we have a good laugh and a joke. We talk a little bit about what we've been doing us with our lives and everything else that goes on. Usually, descends into some kind of filthy talk, um, and. Uh, and then we talk about obviously what we've been playing and there's usually topics as well uh, we, we do focus quite a lot on retro gaming these days because it's interesting to me and I think we all decided that we wanted to do that and appreciate that side of video gaming rather than kind of constantly chasing the, the brand new shiny and all that sort of stuff but we do talk about brand new stuff as well um, with what we've been playing so yes I enjoy doing it and even though the, the other two I talk to are annoying every now and then but uh, <laughs> no it's they're really enjoyable and they're brilliant guys so yeah what about uh, how people can follow you both on twitter and that mate uh right so the same coin is ts coin i'm i'm at dastardly jabby and if you want to follow us you can go to the website which is 60 minuteswith.co.uk 
there's a contact us form on there if you want to get in touch with us or you can email us direct which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk we're on twitter at 60 minutes with and we're on facebook just search for 60 minutes with and before we go i should mention um or maybe I shouldn't. Every time I say, oh, the next show is going to be the Married with Children show. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably the third time I've said it now. Um, hopefully, hopefully the next show will be the Married with Children show. You're just teasing people. I know. People People are just not going to be bothered with it by the time it comes out, I think. You're such a tease, Dave. <laughs> it will. It's coming. It's coming. We're just building up. <laughs> we're building up the tension for Tina suddenly appearing on 60 Minutes with. That's no. what it is. I think people can't wait. <laughs> no, they won't be bothered with anything we're on then. It'll just be, uh, just want to listen to her. That, that's why I keep putting it off. Because <laughs> I know our time will be up then. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully that should be the next one. We've got more interviews um, arranged. And of course, there'll be another entertainment show soon. Um, because the last one we had was the March. We're now in May. So we've got to do um, April's show soon, mate, and get that mm. one out. Yeah. Definitely. Right, so all that remains, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening. Thank you again, Chris, for joining me. Pleasure. And everybody stay subscribed, and we'll be back with the show very soon.